coming to you from the world of AV programming and control with James King. I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, good to be back with you. Uh, always be uh, happy to be here with you, Steve, and uh, look forward to talking with Aaron again. Absolutely. And for those of you who were with us recently, uh, we had Aaron Mayer Morin from Johns Hopkins on us, and she's joining us again today. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad you could be with us. Um, we, we recently talked a little bit about how you were, how you got started in programming, and and also you mentioned a little bit about developing a programming team. So we just thought maybe that'd be a great way of um, d- diving into uh, another topic to help this audience because I think it's always a challenge. In, in past episodes, we've talked about training classes and how do you find resources to train, but but really getting started in programming is, is always been something that, that I think is a challenge. And, and there's, there's that barrier because you can't just go into a book or, or attend a class and just be expected to just do a project. Um, James, why, why don't you um, start us off a little bit about your journey? And, and I know that you came to the industry from IT and then Erin can talk a little bit about um, where what her background is, and maybe we can then highlight some of the areas that the uh, the audience can gain from what what either advancing their career or encouraging new people to get into programming. Uh, yes. Um, so as I mentioned, like AV was kind of, I was dropped in. I did have IT background and I still say AV is IT, but um, I had programming classes and when I got moved over to the AV team, they just dropped the code on my lap and say, oh, yeah, we need to you to figure this out and add these options. That was I had no formal training, any of that stuff. Now, my knowledge of programming aided me in the figuring out, but I was really lost. As you mentioned, there, you couldn't read a book. You couldn't just go out there and pick up AV programming for dummies out there. Um, so I had, and training classes weren't, you know, all the time. So I had to wait till the next training, training class, but in higher ed, we can't wait. Our classes start when they start and we need to have them up and running. So I did a lot of trial and error and pecking saying, okay, this does this. Oh, I broke this. Let me go back and fix that. So I did a lot of trial and error before I got into formal training, um, but that was my path. Um, as you said, there's no one way into this, and uh, I'd like to hear how Aaron got to it and what he thinks. Um, yeah, I actually had gotten into uh, control system programming basically not far out of college, I was working for my school's AV team. And uh, so as the supervisor, I was basically overseeing all the students and facilitating the maintenance of the classrooms and whatnot. And so the idea was brought up that maybe we should have someone who can do these like minute changes on our systems uh, when changes needed to be made. 
But at the time, end users didn't get to go to these classes. Um, I actually was lucky enough that an integrator thought that it was a good enough idea and they didn't feel like it was taking any business away from them. So they were like, we'll sponsor you to go to this class as one of our employees, even though I did not work for them, but it was the most amazing opportunity for me. And really that moment set me on the path that I'm on now. And they, um, now that was, oh, that was like 20 years ago at this point. And it really just then built upon, you know, taking the first one and then waiting a while. And I actually, there was uh, many years between uh, taking the intro kind of class into it. And so much so that I took the intro class again because they, <laughs> they were like, um, yeah, we don't know if you necessarily already took the first one and it's changed enough that, would you mind doing it again? So I was like, sure, why not? And by that point, I, um, I was like, I could probably use the refresher. <laughs> but it was, I was fortunate that, you know, as the time has changed that now higher ed is seen as being an important enough vertical that they deserve to have these resources available. And that, you know, now we can take all of these kind of classes very easily uh, when they are available. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes they aren't available at the most opportune times for higher ed, because, uh, you know, we have, we have a very particular set of times when it's good to take training and times when it's not, as James very well knows. <laughs> but it's, um, it's a great thing to be able to do for our, you know, our industry. That, that's fantastic. And it, it, what, what a, what, what, what a challenging road to not. And I remember those days where, where you had those barriers and not being able. And, and when we're talking about classes, even though we're not getting manufacturer specific, we're, we're talking about manufacturer based classes. And that's why there are those barriers because they're typically done for, or made available to uh, those who resell products or have um, some type of an official affiliation with that manufacturer, but it's good, good to hear now that that those barriers have been overcome. And um, and and I I've been an advocate for a long time of everyone kind of being in the know because the more you know, the more you can appreciate what we're doing, and nobody should be out and and left in the dark. So that's uh, it's a good thing. Um, what. One of the things that I've always found because, and, and James and I have talked about this a little bit is, is, is wh which is more important, the knowledge of AV and systems or the knowledge of being able to write really good code? And, and how do you balance that? Because that, that, that person just doesn't exist in, you know, that comes out of school or, or it, like you're, you don't have that, no, nobody has that inherent information. You have to learn it somewhere. Erin, have you found that to be 
Like what, when you're, if you were to recommend to somebody starting out, which, which path would you say that they should focus on first? I definitely would have to say that I think having a really good grasp of AV and how it all works makes you a better programmer. Um, because you could get a line diagram and be able to kind of connect the ins and the outs and the, the logic, but I feel like you're really going to have a better understanding of what you're doing if you know the back the backside of things and how it all goes together. Sure, I, I I kind of agree about that. If you if you can write out on paper how a system should work, knowing the signal flow and being able to understand what should happen, writing the code, then just becomes an exercise. But you still have to honestly know how to do it. But it's it you know the, there's uh, the, the both have equal importance at least um, at least equal. Um, James, I I know that you and I have talked a little bit about. The users, and I know your one of your famous phrases is that you know the what, what's most important is making sure that the students get what they need, and you know in, in higher ed, uh, that's the other avenue that kind of contributes to programming is knowing how to satisfy the users because it, you can understand the system and you can understand the code, but you still have to make it so that it is going to fit the need. Oh, 100% agree. Um, now, I know Aaron mentioned this in the last episode of people ask her, oh, you're a programmer. Um, I've actually noticed that a couple of times, I'm sure not to the extent that she has, but um, just being in higher ed, where integrator companies would be like, oh, you're programming the room? And be like, yes, because I know what my users need. And prime example we had was our latest large project, uh, campus in, uh, opening up. We, the integrators were installing the equipment, but they were to use my code. And they asked me, they're like, oh, can we get your code ahead of time so we can make sure the equipment works in the shop? And I'm like, sure, no problem. So I sent them my code. They called me like, four days later and they're like, oh, our programmer has some questions for you. So I got on the phone with their programmer and he's like, well, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. When we install it everywhere, we do this. And I'm like, I don't, I understand. But we tried doing that and our users hated it. For example, document cameras. 100% agree that you don't need to display the document camera image on your local preview. Our users want to see that image. Even though the paper is right there in front of them on the document camera, they want to make sure they what's on the preview monitor is also what's on the projector. And their programmer couldn't comprehend that when I was explaining that's what our users want. And he's like, but we do this everywhere else. I'm like, I understand. We've tried it, we got pushed back, we had to go back to this. Um, so having that connection, that link with our users to know what does work and what doesn't work is vital. Um, I actually just had this conversation with my supervisor. We were 
talking about a new room coming online. And I'm like, well, we could roll all this out, but do we want to spend that much money when they're not going to use the features? Because everyone wants to love talk about the features, but then you, the data shows they don't use it. So we're balancing, uh, making sure we are getting the needs of the students, staying on the cutting edge, but not just throwing things in because we can. I, I uh, see you agreeing a lot, Aaron. Why don't you jump in and share a little bit about your experience? Because it's it's very important, honestly. And one of the things that I often think about is how, as programmers, how often do we use the systems that we program? And I think that that's that's a critical question to ask. And and I think that you get some real perspective on things that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who who is going to know the audience more? the ones who work with the stuff every day, like in the classrooms or an outsider, it's going to be us who works in the classrooms. And yeah, there are many times that uh, we've had situations where they're like, oh, but this, this shades come down automatically. And the, when you, um, go to the document camera, the audio automatically mutes. And we're like, wait, but what, why, why are you having that? And they were like, but the document camera doesn't have any audio. So we mute it. And I'm like, well, actually there are some case use cases where we've had instructors want to have some music playing from the PC when they switch over or they have audio running. I'm like, there's lots of different reasons why you want that. And they're just like, we'd never heard of that before. We're like, that is why <laughs> we do things the way we do them. And it, but it happens a lot. It's so funny that you brought that up, James. It, it That just speaks to the, the importance of a scope of work, first off, and that there's no one way to do things. Um, and, and also what is important too, is that there's, I think understanding different use cases and different scenarios and different users and, and realizing too, uh, one thing that I talk a lot about is making sure that you make your code flexible so that you can make those accommodations because you may show up and expect it to be one way. And when it gets used, they, they have a different preference or they have a different perspective, or we just didn't think of them using the system and, the, and pressing the buttons in the sequence that, that they do. So it's, it's, I think being user-centric is probably a really good takeaway from, from this discussion. Yeah. I, I always, the way I like to look at my rooms and the way I code system is I always try is what is a user going to do to try to break this? Not saying they are, that's their end goal, but inadvertently they do things out of what we normally do that break things. And also the way I look at it is anyone off the street should be able to walk in and use our classrooms with little to no training. They should be able to sit down, look at our controls and be able to use the room without calling for help. And that's those are the two things I keep in mind whenever I'm programming a room. 
there's always that that word that I hear a lot that I always makes me cringe a little is it's intuitive because it's intuitive to some may not be intuitive to others, but I always, I, I feel like that, that can be a little bit overused, but I appreciate what you're saying, James, you shouldn't have to read a manual. Yeah, I agree. The tweet one is a um, hot topic because there's things that make sense to me, but didn't make sense to our users, especially the on and off buttons. And I was sitting there and it took me a moment to realize, Hey, it makes sense to me, but it's not making sense to everyone else. So it's not as intuitive as I thought it was. So I'm sure Aaron saw that too. Yeah, it's funny. When we had used to have keypads, uh, we couldn't just have a power button. We had to do a power on and a power off. Because for some reason, the idea of toggling the power just didn't make sense to anybody. So we were like, yep, all right, two buttons it is, <laughs> which any other, you know, outside uh, of higher ed, everyone was like, that's just silly, power, toggle. And they were like, no, nope, it's got to have a power on and a power off. <laughs> it, it, I know that we, we, we we're talking a lot about how to get started in programming, but I'm curious as somebody who always wants to be learning is how, how do you use the feedback that you get from your users and your, your, I mean, cause they're essentially your clients, you know, and, and how, how, how do you, how do you benefit from that? And what, um, what, what, what is the importance of that in your, in, in becoming a better programmer, um, yeah, either James, if you want to start, if we'll... um, I think that just having the positive feedback, even the negative feedbacks from our users, really sh shapes at least me as a programmer. Because as I mentioned, yeah, things might make sense to me, but doesn't mean it's making sense to them. Or I might provide features in here saying, hey, our tech people needs this, these options, but then those options aren't being used and now I'm just making more work for myself. So as we've talked about on other podcasts, this one is, it's all about the relationship, building that rapport with our users to know what works for them and what rolls out. And that shapes you as a programmer because I can sit here and put all the bells and whistles in, but if I don't need to, now I'm actually freeing up time to learn other things. Aaron, I, I, I'll kind of ask you something kind of related, but you know, I, I have a team of programmers as well, and I'm just curious how you, how, how it has changed you doing what you do to see how the, your, your team programs and is there, have you, have you been able to benefit by having, being, having more people in that role? Oh, absolutely. I, when I was first asked by one of my employees, if they could go to a programming class, I was like, yes, please. <laughs> that would be fantastic to have a backup. Um, and then, you know, now I've had a couple of, of my team take classes and I actually encourage them after they take the classes to 
look at my code and pick it apart and try to see like what they would do differently potentially to solve the same problem or make it a little more smoother or just to see another way of doing things because Lord knows in programming, there's many ways to do the same thing. Um, so I, and I know that I benefited early on in my programming career by opening up and looking at code of systems that I really thought worked really well. And so I was like, I need to see how that's done. And then was like, oh, okay. Let me incorporate that sort of logic into my systems uh, because it works, you know, a bit better than, you know, the extra steps that I had put in there, you know, just starting out because I'm like, well, that seems to make sense. I'll do it this way. And then I'm like, oh, yes, there's much easier ways to do that. So looking at other examples totally helps as long as it's a good one. Although I do have to say, sometimes it is beneficial to look at code that's not so well done. So you know examples of things not to do. And unfortunately, knowing that it works is only half the battle. You have to know that it works and it works consistently and reliably, as you mentioned. Uh, but but I, I, I totally agree with you. When I first started out and I was learning, um, being presented with a blank canvas and and a and a bunch of commands or symbols is is really a hard hard place to start because it it's it doesn't really give you any type of insight as to best practices or or ways that the the those who design the language or or are um, the the ones that are are really driving the way code should be written or or what their expectations are, are, you know, they, they don't give you any direction. So, so being able to have examples to look at is huge. I think that that would be a, a great way of getting somebody started. I agree. Um, and that's one thing I'm, why I'm very pleased to see AV equip uh, programming moving more to the IT languages of HTML5, the Python, because there are tons of samples out there of those, as well as you can go to services like GitHub and all those and upload your code and have people pick, pick it apart and say, no, you shouldn't do that, or you need to do this. Um, that's one thing I need to start doing myself with some of my PC programming, because I always, uh, almost like Aaron mentioned that, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm afraid to upload my code because all people are like, why are you doing programming? <laughs> all my programs seems to work. So maybe I am actually doing something right. You know, I think in the beginning of, do, of, uh, of this industry, uh, writing code and having us being more software-based, everybody was so protective. And I think that that's changing quite a bit. And, and I think thanks to you guys, because I think that the, the higher ed community is, is very open and sharing. And, and although there are certain things that you probably want to keep uh, as, as your differentiator or that's, that's you know, kind of unique to you, there, 
helping others and learning from each other is, is a huge way to just elevate the whole industry because I think we're, we're all, in the end, we're, we all want to protect our livelihood, I would think. Yeah, um, Joe Way mentions this a lot where in a business world, like AV people, even programmers, like AV programmers, they're not going to talk to each other because they're all looking out for their self, you know, their bottom line. But in higher ed, we are competitors school-wise, but we're more colleagues and we help each other out. Even if our schools are competing for enrollment, we're still helping each other out. Well, uh, I think we're probably coming up to rounding out this this episode. And um, Aaron, I wanted to thank you for joining us. And, and um, is there... You know, for, for as somebody who's uh, an audience member and has been listening to us for a while, any any um, advice or, or insight that you could provide us for moving forward and, and what would be valuable to you or others in, in your position? Yeah, I mean, keep doing what you're doing. This is a fantastic resource. It's even if it's just reaffirming kind of what you already know it still it it helps and i definitely appreciate it um i know that you know maybe for those little little baby programmers out there just getting started like you could probably do like a whole series of uh of shows about you know getting the you know the first once you've taken that first class what's the best things to do. <laughs> oh, I like that. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and yeah, I encourage, I mean, this, you know, the, is... the audience to reach out to you as well. Cause I, I, one of the things that I get from something like this is being able to broaden our network, but also learn from the people that are listening and, and are, and are uh, willing to speak with us. So thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I love getting to talk to other AV professionals and especially higher ed folks. Uh, with that said, how can people get in touch with you and, and learn a little bit more about what you're doing uh, either at Johns Hopkins or um, just professionally? I can always be found on LinkedIn and I also am on Twitter. My handle is at smearin underscore off underscore ice. Thanks. Uh, James, uh, how can people get in touch with you and also share a little bit about what you're up to? You're, you're a very busy guy. Oh, yeah. First off, I want to thank Aaron and even all our listeners. It's been great. Uh, when Steve and I started this, we didn't know where this was going. It's great that we're building this community that we're looking forward. Uh, our goal was to do. So I want to thank Aaron for coming on and everyone who's been providing valuable uh, feedback. Um, I am on Twitter, AV underscore James King. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, not as active. I am on the HEPMA board, so is Aaron. Um, so definitely uh, check that out as well if you're in higher ed. And I also write for the higher ed digital magazine, the IT and AV column that comes out monthly. Thanks. And uh, I, I second and third that. I uh, Aaron, thank you for being part of this. And, and also, um, you know, we, we, uh, we get a lot of reward from hearing the feedback from everyone. So please, uh, please continue to do that. That's, that's what, what this is about. And it's just so good to know that other programmers want to hear 
what we have to say. And also we get to kind of share a little bit of the wisdom and, and the experience. And sometimes uh, you learn the most from the, the hardest things that you go through. So it's always good to pass, pass on that knowledge. Uh, quick little shout out to Joe Way. We talked about him a little bit. Um, he's uh, one, of, one of the founders of HEPMA and I, I uh, admire what, what you all have been doing from, uh, from that perspective. And it's, uh, it's really great for the industry. And I, I've gotten a lot out of uh, listening to you guys. So thanks for doing that. Um, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. And uh, we, we, uh, as I've been saying, uh, you could find us in many different places on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and Google. And uh, we, we just want to know that you're out there and let us know what you want to hear more about. And if you're so kind, just leave us uh, a review or a rating. That'd be really wonderful. It'd probably make both James and my day uh, or, my, or our week. So uh, that being said, that's what we have for today. And this has been Ask the Programmer.